the, the month of Teves, Kabbalistic literature, it's the dark month. Um, we uh, concluded Hanukkah in Teves, and in another couple of days, we're going to have Asarba Teves. Uh, in our hemisphere, it's the shortest fast day of the year. Seems not that significant. And yet, as you're going to experience this year, the only fast day that we fast on Friday. And according to some sources, if it would have fallen on Shabbos, we wouldn't push it off. So it's apparently a lot more significant <coughs> than it appears on the surface. So we're going to need to explore what is going on. Why are we fasting? So based on the psukim in Zechariah, the Gemara in Rosh Hashanah says that Asar B'teves was the day that the siege of Jerusalem started by Nebuchadnezzar. And that siege of Jerusalem was three years before the actual destruction. In Mesech Sofrim, it talks about another tragedy. It's actually brought in the Halacha. It's brought down in the, the Shulchan Aruch, in the, Baal, the Bahag, <coughs> that the Loshon is that five elders translated the Torah into Greek by King Talmai. You've heard the famous story. And the, Medr- the Mesecha Sofrim concludes that it was a day, it was a grave day for the Jewish people equated with the Egel Hazahov. And in the Balalachas Kedolos, it also adds that darkness descended over the world for three days because the, the uh, Talmai's instruction to translate the Torah was given on the 8th of Teves. And the three days of darkness, 8th, 9th, 10th, so that connects the uh, translating of the Torah into Greek with Asar B'teves, and then it also mentions very cryptically something else happened on the 9th, and what the later commentaries say is that Ezra and Nehemiah died. So we have these three days, 8th, 9th, 10th of Teves, that look like very messy days. The Torah translated into Greek, and it says that darkness descended on the world because they translated the Torah into Greek, and we should certainly ask ourselves, what was so terrible about translating the Torah into Greek? How does that bring darkness to the world? And certainly, how does that compare to the Egel Hazahov, which is the most severe sin that the Jews committed in the in the desert, or the second most severe, if you want to look at the Meraglim. But what does translating the Torah into Greek have to do with a golden calf? And why do we fast because of the siege of Jerusalem. The siege. Three years before destruction. Well, guess what? After three years, the temple's going to be destroyed. And we fast for that. Why are we fasting for the siege? So, let's go back to translating the Torah into Greek. Looks like a... new. At worst, it's a neutral act. It might even be a positive act. It gives people, more people, access to Torah wisdom. So what was Talmai's motivation? That's what we have to ask. So the Greek ideology, we talked about it in Hanukkah. The Ramban actually summarizes it in Achremos, where he talks about Greek philosophy, about Aristotle. And he says... 
that the only thing they recognize as reality is what they can understand with their own intellect. Right, the language is, Whatever I can't understand is simply not correct. There's no givens to precede or limit man's perspective. We talked about this in the Hanukkah Shir. The foundation of modern wisdom is built on that. We've got to be able to figure it out ourselves. If it's true, I should be able to figure it out. So this perspective limits the, signific- the significance of man's actions, which is exactly what Hanukkah was fought over. Physical, measurable. There's no connection with the transcendent realities. Ein lochem chelek be'elokei Yisrael. And if we apply it to Torah study, so it limits our understanding of Torah to our human intellectual understanding, and it's got to fit in to the world that has been built through our own human understanding, human materialistic perspectives. So we're going to filter our understanding of Torah through that. Of course, there's one problem. Torah is divinely revealed wisdom. And we mentioned that it has the ability to enable man to access the mind of God. And if you study the Torah as divinely revealed wisdom, it enables you to align your actions with the purpose of the world. The Torah defined creation and it preceded creation. And a fuller understanding of Torah, a correct understanding of Torah, has to be within that context. Now, how do we get there? So, you've got to struggle. You've got to strive for objectivity. You've got to have character refinement. This is one of the main themes of the Mem Ches Dvarim, Shahat Torah Nikneis Bahem. 48 things by which we acquire Torah, not to be confused with acquiring others, other aspects of wisdom. And when you do that, when you struggle, when you refine your character, when you go beyond the physical, you become a more elevated, a more spiritual person. The Greek framework of understanding Torah puts man in the center. Man's goals, man's understanding, that's the center stage. So, translating the Torah into Greek renders the Torah like any other wisdom, any other book that has a lot of wisdom in it. That was Talmai wanted Torah to be accessible. But he's also making a statement This is accessible to man through man's wisdom. And therefore it becomes like all other academic disciplines. And there's no need to struggle in the way you struggle for divine wisdom. You need to struggle like you struggle to understand chemistry and physics. So it's only measurable by our five senses. And attempting to make Torah accessible without intense struggle, denies the relationship the Torah has to create with God. 
So when the the Loshon of the Mesecha Sofrim said that the Torah was translated into Greek and darkness descended, When you translate Torah into Greek, it's not properly translated. Let's listen a little bit to the Medrash Tanchuma that describes the process of understanding Torah, not just the written Torah, but the oral Torah. Because one of the things that Talmai did by translating Torah into Greek is he's giving people access to the Torah Shevetav without Torah Shebaal Pet. But the Medrash Tanchuma says, Somebody who's looking for comfort, for pampering, for taiva, kavad gadol, you're looking for, for pleasure, you're looking for honor, in this world you will not access Torah Shabbal Peh. But where is Torah Shabbal Peh accessed? You've heard this phrase about killing yourself in the tent of Torah. Adam ki amut sacrifice. And then it continues that Torah Shabal Peh is kosha lilmot. It's hard to learn it. You probably figured that out already. V'yesh sa'ar gadol. It's painful. Shehi mishula lachoshech. Torah Shabal Peh is compared to darkness. Shenemar, a posuk in Yeshaya. A nation that walks in darkness, the result is ra'u or gadol. You will ultimately see great illumination. Who are we talking about? Says the Medrash. Elu bale Talmud. Shero'u or gadol. They will ultimately see great illumination. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu illuminates their minds with halacha. Yisr heter, tamitohor. And then it continues. Again, I wanted to find something else. So, okay, well, it continues that the covenant is made with Torah Baal Sheyeshba digduke mitzvos kalos vechamuros, lots of detail. He also kamavis vekasha kishol, it's very tough, it's very sharp. Lefisha'en lomed osa. Who studies Torah Shabbat Peh with all that difficulty? To study Torah Shabbat Peh with all the struggle that it requires, you have to have a deep love of God. And again, here's where Talmai and Judaism separate out. You can study Torah, quote, translated into Greek, I'm going to call it in, the, in a minute, diluted Torah, diluted Torah, not diluted, but diluted Torah, Without loving God, it's like any other discipline. To study Tarsha Balpeh with all of the struggle, and you guys should be patting yourselves on the back if you realize it's because we love God. And the more we know about Tarsha Balpeh, the more we can know the mind of God. That's when you love means to know. You've got to understand, you've got to know. If you love God, you want to know more about God. This idea of darkness is mentioned in the Gemara. Famous Gemara in Shabbos. Let me read it in the, in the original. I don't, wanna, I don't know the 
English translation here, so it's good to see, to know it in, in inside. It's in Ein Zainamud Beis. And again, it'll give you a little bit of comfort as you're struggling in your darkness. So it's a, a dialogue between Rabbi Zera and Rabbi Yehuda. My time are easy, Mazgan Beresha, the Hutter Imri. So when you see a flock of sheep, so the lead goats are black and the sheep are white. Why do we have the lead goat, the black lead goats being black and the sheep being white? Omar Lake Kivriya Social Olam. Well, it's the way that the world was created. Beresha Chashucha. First there was darkness. Vahara Nehura. And then there was light. Vahi Erev. Vahi Boker. First there's darkness. Then there's light. So we always have the dark going ahead of the light. Right? And he goes through a number of dark uh, metaphors of darkness and lightness. Right, illumination. And then it says, because if you want to understand correctly Torah, first it's dark. First it's confusion. To access the light of Torah, you have to be ready to subject yourself to the darkness. Confusion. If you, re- if you start there, and Rabbi Herschel and I have noticed many, many times that the first time we learn a sugya that we think we understood it, when we go deeper, we realize we misunderstood it. And you only understand that after misunderstanding it. Gomorrah says that a person doesn't really get the halacha right unless he trips over it first. Don't be bothered by mistakes. One of the things... Jean Piaget talks about it in, in, in intellectual development. He talks about how in America everybody's afraid of making mistakes. And this was true 50 years ago. Today, for sure, you want to insulate your kids from making any mistakes. And of course, then they become incapable of functioning in the world. You've got to be ready to make a mistake so that you can then learn from it. That's darkness. But... If you want to get out of the darkness into the illumination, you've got to realize you're sitting in darkness. Do you remember the shear with the Mesil Shisharim? That man has to realize he's in darkness. Otherwise, as we said in the Mesil Shisharim, if you don't realize you're in darkness, you'll never get out of it. And you will either bump into the lamp post or give Shalom Aleichem to the lamp post. Because as the Messiah Shalom says, you either don't see what's there or you misconstrue what's there. So Torah gives man an opportunity to illuminate the hidden aspects of reality, the hidden aspects of God's 
mysterious creation, which contrasts with the Greek perspective that there is no such thing as unobservable realities. Talmai equated Torah with all other wisdom, and therefore there's no potential to access anything hidden. There's no deeper understanding. And the result was darkness. That's what it says. Three days of darkness descended over the world. Now, it's interesting that there are two, and this is something that I think is correct, is there are two major discoveries of the 20th century that indicate to us that there really is darkness in the world and not everything is accessible to men, that there are hidden realities. Those two discoveries were Gödel's incompleteness theorem. Google it and understand it. What Gödel said proved it mathematically. You cannot have a system that is internally consistent if you don't have some unprovable axioms outside of the system. Now that, that was revolutionary because our assumption is everything is provable and you can only accept what's provable. And he proved, ironically, that if you don't have assumptions that are unprovable before you start your system, you end up with internal contradictions. So there's got to be some axioms that pre-exist the system. The other chiddish of the 20th century was Heidenberg's uncertainty principle. Because science says everything is predictable. If I would just have enough information, I can predict everything. And Heidenberg proved, and again, it's one of the mysteries of science, it's a mystery of the world that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created, is there are certain things that are unknowable, they're uncertain, that if you know one thing, it makes the other thing unknowable. Again, very interesting to, to delve into it, but it gives you confidence that we can't know everything. So why is this tragedy compared to the Egel Hazahav? Why is it compared to the golden calf? So what is the root of Avodah Zara? Avodah Zara is replacing reality with an illusion, with fantasy. That's idol worship. Idol worship mistakenly imputes power to something that has no power. It's Avodah Zara. That's the mother, no pun intended, the mother of Avodah Zarah was the Egel Azov, the golden calf. So when you think you're seeing God, the Egel Azov, and what you're seeing is an illusion, that's the essence of Avodah Zarah. So when one studies Torah translated into Greek, which I'm calling, when the Torah is diluted, when it's dumbed down to make it accessible without struggle, and without character development, but make it easily accessible. So then, you're not understanding the world of God. You're not understanding the world God created. You're not understanding the realities. But in fact, what you're doing is you're creating your world. When we study Torah, we're supposed to understand God's world. And when we study the dumbed-down Torah through the mind of the Greek perspective, what we're doing is we're creating our world, which is an illusion. It's a false picture of reality. 
That's Avodah Zohar. There's another deeper aspect. The Zohar create calls Avodah Zohar El Acher. It's a, another, it's a foreign God. Okay? And it also says a very interesting metaphor. It calls Avodah Zarah castrated and it's something that can't produce fruit. Because if you're castrated, there's no offspring. And that's what it calls the Torah that was translated into Greek. What is going on? So, fruit that grows on a tree is preceded by blossoms and it's preceded by flowers. Anybody from Washington, D.C., I think it's supposed to be famous, the cherry blossom season in Washington, D.C. is supposed to be amazing, gorgeous, just unbelievable. When you see trees flowering, you'll see it soon, by the way, in, in, in Yerushalayim a little bit. The almond trees will start flowering before Tubishat. And it's really a, a, a fascinating um, a scene. Okay? And those flowers look gorgeous. And those flowers smell gewaldic. And a person who doesn't understand what's going on could look at those flowering trees, those blossoming trees, and think, that's what the tree is there for. It looks good. It smells good. But that's a superficial observation. The real purpose of that flower is to give you fruit. And it can only be unlocked if you cultivate it and have a little more patience, delayed gratification. If somebody grabs the flower, immediate gratification, I love the smell, I love the look, I'm going to cut off that and put it in my, hang it in my living room so it'll look beautiful. So if you grab the flower, you prevent it from producing the fruit. That, say Chazal, is Avodah Zarah. That is Torah that is not properly understood. You took the flower, you took the smell, and you lost the fruit. Torah provides man with the opportunity to illuminate reality that is below the surface. Below, it's illuminating the reality of God's world. Talmai commissioned a document that would extinguish that light, extinguish that clarity, and replace it, ironically, with darkness and confusion. They would think that they're smarter, but they're really dumber, because if you get it wrong, when you, when you, we always say, you know, it's better to think you don't know anything than to think it wrong. Knowing nothing and knowing it wrong, knowing it wrong is worse. So reality replaced with illusion is Avodah Zarah. And the mother of Avodah Zarah is the Egil Hazav, the golden calf. So when you study Torah that's, dil- that's diluted, that's translated into Greek, you think you're understanding God's word, you think you're understanding God's world, and all you did is you created your own world. So the culmination of three days of darkness, Asarabit, culminates with Asarabit Teves. So far, all we've talked about is the Torah into Greek. What does this have to do with the siege of Jerusalem? Three years after the siege, the walls fell and the temples destroyed. 
But what did the siege represent? The siege was the beginning of destruction. The siege compromised the, the, the protection of the Beis Amikdash. When you have something of value, the Beis Amikdash, it needs protection. And when there's a siege against something of value, it means you're not protecting it properly. And if it's not protected, it will deteriorate. And when it deteriorates, ultimately it's destroyed. Now, deterioration is a very gradual process. That's the whole point of deterioration. Little, slow steps. You don't realize what's happening. Okay, We're, we, we live it all the time. Things, Rabbi Chaim Shulevitz is famous shmuz. We're going to read it next week in, 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 in Parshas Vayechi, in the Medrash, that when they were trying to bury Yaakov, so... Uh, Asaph comes and says, I'm entitled to the grave. And they start arguing, no, you sold it, prove it. Well, we have a contract, show me the contract. Where's the contract? It's in Egypt. Got to send Naftali back quickly to get the contract. So they're waiting around till Naftali comes back with the contract to prove to Asaph that Yaakov is entitled it. And Hushim ben Don, he's deaf. He gets up and he says, what's going on? And they explain, you know, we're waiting. Asa said this, da, da, da. We're, we're waiting for that. Our grandfather is lying, waiting to be buried in disrespect, and we're listening to this guy, and he took a club and he knocked Asa off, off the head. Says Reb Chaim, why did it take the deaf Hushim Ben Don to do that? Why didn't the brothers do it right away? Says Reb Chaim, each step they thought the problem is solved. Uh, we'll solve it with this step. Oh, oh no, there's a new problem? Okay, another step. And another step. And when you go step by step and you don't realize each step, step is a little problem. A little problem I can handle. Another little problem I can handle. That's deterioration. Chushim and I didn't know nothing. He comes in. He sees what he sees. He didn't go step by step. Okay? He wakes up. This is it. Any case. We don't realize how, well, how, how often we're victims of deterioration because we don't realize what's happening. So, the failure to perceive deterioration is worth a fast day. The Torah was translated into Greek. That was the beginning of deterioration. doesn't look so bad. makes it more accessible. But in fact, it was a terrible thing. Parenthetically, we mentioned one of the things that was hidden away, it's not mentioned explicitly, was that Ezra and Nehemiah died on the 9th of Teves. I think we can connect that as a deterioration of leadership because they were the leaders. So we have the Torah translated into Greek. We have Ezra and Nehemiah, the leaders, dying. We have the siege of Jerusalem. Common denominator, we are being subjected to deterioration and it doesn't look so bad. That's the problem. So we need a special fast day and it's amazing that it's such an important fast day which doesn't look like it. I mean, I always point out that if you live in England and it wouldn't be a Friday, you can wake up at 6.15 in the morning and have a full breakfast. And at 4.30 you have dinner. That's like almost like a normal work day. It's such a short fast. It almost doesn't pay attention. Of course, in the southern hemisphere, you've got a very big problem. But it's And you fast on Friday. And the sources say if it would come out on Shabbos, we'd fast on Shabbos. So it's much more important of a fast day than we think it is. 
Torah translated into Greek is fantasy, overshadowing reality. The depth is being overshadowed by superficiality. It affects our Torah learning. You guys want it simple. You want it easy. You want it accessible. Oh, I'm not going to struggle over this, Rashi. Let me just go look in the art school. That's the problem. Torah requires struggle because, as the Medrash Tanchuma says, only somebody who loves God is ready to struggle to really know God better and deeply. Keep this in mind when you get married. If you want to love your wife, you better get to know her. When you're on a date and all the girl wants to talk about is her is herself and she's not interested in you, there's probably going to be a problem in the relationship. Okay? It doesn't mean you should be talking about yourself and she should be like you gotta know your spouse. You wanna know God, you gotta know his Torah. And the Medrash Sanchuma tells us it's hard work. And it's just a bigger and bigger problem every generation. We want it easier and easier. And Asar Batavis has to remind us that we're in a that we're in a situation of deterioration, and we have to acknowledge it. We have to realize it, and we have to work very hard to reverse it. I always call it. Mentioned this many times. Asar Batavis is the fast over deterioration, not the fast over destruction.